0: Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is Lost Cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 28. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Lunchbox. You're my cat, Lunchbox? I didn't know you could talk. (laughs) You're kind of creeping me out. No, I'm Jeff Blair. So it has been a while. Uh, Our last podcast was... uh, One second. Ten years ago. November 28th. That's about ten years ago. Wow. And today is January 22nd, so two months almost. Wow. Wow. Sorry about that if you were hoping for um, more episodes (laughs) than zero between that time (laughs) period. Well, the holidays were brutal. I mean... Yeah, I'm not
1: sure they are for everybody, but you know, we've got lots of stuff going on and family and out of town and blah blah blah.
0: Yeah, they were a particular wreck for us because we had two projects um, that we were supposed to be finishing up end of year, and uh, we had to deal with those. So yeah. we had like zero time. We still kind of have zero time, but we're we're taking a quick breather because it's it's been a while. Like we said, and you were out of town during Thanksgiving, and I was out of town during Christmas. I was for Thanksgiving, weren't you? In November, sometime? Did oh you? yeah, you had like visitors and wait family i don't i seriously don't have any memory of that wow thanksgiving this year <laughs> i'm serious that's really didn't you go to hawaii that's concerning did i go to hawaii yes you did oh we went to maui <laughs> oh wow man. man i'm seriously concerned i should talk to a doctor i'm glad that you're my business partner i have forgotten all the things yes yes you have i've forgotten not to give away our um uh credit card numbers and all that Damn bitch. Hey, good censorship there makes my job easier. <laughs> yes, uh, <it> does. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about uh, a bunch of things. We're going to talk about GitHub Game Off. It, we didn't even talk about that. Um, so so uh, Lee Riley from GitHub reached out to us uh, a few months ago um, to judge the GitHub Game Off, and uh, I jumped all over that. I I got dibs because I wanted to do it, <laughs> and I got swag out of it anyway. And I didn't even have to do any work. Yeah, you did. We've we got t-shirts and mugs and stuff. That was pretty cool. I didn't get any mugs. What the hell? They only got one mug. Oh. Did I say mugs? Yes. <laughs> I meant mug. We got t-shirts and mug. <laughs> and mug. <laughs> uh, so we'll talk about GitHub Game Off. Um, we will talk a little bit about unit testing, which is a question from a listener. I'm not going to pronounce this right. Crowaller? Yeah. We might be right. Hopefully. Sure. And uh, we're going to talk about our indie speedrun entry, Asylum Nights. That was a game uh, made in HTML5 in 48 hours a couple of weeks ago. Great compo, by the way. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so let's talk about indie speedrun first. Sure, cool. Uh, so a little bit of refresher. I'll put this in the show notes, of course. But we first heard about indie speedrun like a month and a little bit of I don't know, month or two ago. Anyway, it's uh, it seems to be put on by people involved with the Escapist, which is um, like a prolific uh, game dev rag. Yeah, well, a uh, game community, and uh, uh, I don't know what you call it these, these days. Like it's a ga- it's kind of a gaming news site, but they're more like features. And mm-hmm. content, you know? So I don't know what you'd call that, but, um, that's also the home of, uh, Zero Punctuation, which is the really famous, uh, cartoon review platform, I guess. Uh, Brutal cartoon review. Yeah. So it's put on by, uh, Yahtzee croshaw from, uh, Australia. And, I almost uh, don't want to win because I don't want to hear him rip apart our game. Dude, I'm not kidding. One of my lifelong goals is for him to play and rip apart one of my games. Yeah, I would be honored. I've, I've watched all of his movies, I think they're all really funny and insightful and, uh, you know what it is with him is like he's got he's got smart insights but he doesn't like you know some pretentiousness comes out once in a while and all that but like it, it's hidden beneath this this great layer of entertainment you know it's all about the presentation it's like I don't want to read some like some article about a game with about like from some, from some guy with his pinky out drinking a martini you know <laughs> but if you package it in this really funny cartoon that's got really fast talking and like the content's great and, and just really quick and consumable like it's it's fantastic I love zero punctuation
1: yeah it's great I like it too so, he's the final judge. So, basically, the he's way the it works... He's the last boss. He's the last boss, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah. he will fail many players. So, how, how does it work? It's, the judging's kind of weird. So, the way it works is that there's a handful of judges, of which Notch is one and Yahtzee one, but Yahtzee's kind of like the final judge. And so,
0: all the right. rest of the judges uh, are picking their... They their become horse. like an advocate for one game, right? Right. The and way they, I heard is like, all, like there's, there's over 200 entries and they're all kind of um, divided up. And each judge will get, you know, like a, a handful or, you know, whatever is even split. And they will, um, they'll judge them and then they pick one that moves on to the finalists, right? Right. So they've announced like three finalists so far. Yeah. And they're going to continue to announce finalists over the course of this month, as well
1: as the community voting aspect. Right. And so each of the judges that aren't Yahtzee are going to pick one game. And then there's going to be three community game picks. Uh, and then all of those games are going to go to Yahtzee for final judging.
0: Right. Yeah. And the the community picks are there's only going to be three and they're just uh it's just open web voting so that's that's going to be a wreck like you there's going to be people gaming the system there's going to be people uh creating scripts like uh that's just a disaster um i don't have a lot of confidence that we're even going to get noticed especially uh given the response like i don't know we it's it's kind of uneventful like we we made this game we're really excited about it we launched it and i know it's just a little 48 hour game jam but didn't really seem to garner any interest
1: that's interesting i know it's definitely better than a lot of games that were submitted but i'm sure that there's some really stiff competition we haven't really had a chance to play all the games anyway because there's like 200 and
0: yeah a lot of them are download too so it's like a lot of overhead to, yeah, to i'm get not in downloading there. any exes no no <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I guess i trust the escapist and all that but uh it's more an issue of just like it takes a lot longer. You know, yeah. download, install, and open, and yeah. you know, I'm already asleep. And I don't have Windows. I mean, I, mean, I do yeah, have, I have Windows. I have to go out to like, my family room yeah. to use Windows. No, that's um, So, a little bit more about the actual uh, meat and potatoes of the, of the contest, I guess. It was uh, over a period of what was like a month or two. Th- this is what really, re- re- we really liked about it was uh, the developers themselves got to pick a window. So, it's a 48-hour game jam. Like, you've probably heard about game jams like that. Like, that seems pretty standard Is you got two days, right? Right. And, like, uh, Ludum Dare works like that. The Global Game Jam works like that. You get 48 hours. So, they stuck to that format. But the nice thing about it is you get to pick the 48-hour window that works for you. And that was really critical for us because, like... It always feels like whenever a game jam would come up, it's like oh, this weekend. This weekend is terrible. I, I can't I can't yeah, do like, this weekend. One or both
1: of us or somebody has stuff going on.
0: Yeah, and we were able to uh, tell Joshua Morse, our um, composer and sound effect guy, like way ahead of time. Like we're planning on doing it. Like we could actually, you know, work out a little window into our development cycle and be like, we're going to take these three day or you know, two and two and some change, two and some change days to kind of bang out a game. And so he was available as well. Um, The other big thing was, like, the reason I I haven't ever just, you know, on a lark, uh, participated in Ludum Dare is because uh, you have to be using tools that are available to the public. Yeah. And with Indie Speedrun, um, they're fine with you using tools that you have yourself that aren't necessarily open or anything, right? So, you can use your own, like, proprietary tools, which, you know, we talk a lot about JS, our game engine, and uh, we haven't open sourced it yet. We will maybe someday, but... Perhaps. Perhaps probably likely maybe
1: well you know it's our business model right now isn't developers right like we're not trying to monetize developers we're trying to monetize game players
0: yeah and if we ever get to the point where um we just really badly need the money maybe we'll maybe we'll double down on (laughs) on that uh but yeah they they let you use whatever tools you have at your disposal um yeah like you were just talking about it's a great list of judges like i've seen compost before where it's like it does kind of feel like you enter your game and it kind of just disappears and like if I was thinking if nothing else like uh, I would be thrilled if Notch just played our game like oh yeah right. I've heard of you guys like I played your I game. played your
1: crappy game one time
0: yeah like there's there's really great prolific judges on the um, on their uh, man panel if we, if so we could get a retweet from Notch
1: yeah right like like Amazing. people have blogged
0: about what uh, a tweet from notch can do for you and it's yeah. like it's crazy that like, you got, like fifty thousand hits that day and like a thousand new signups like uh if i can find th- i probably won't be able to but if i can find that blog i'll link to it so just based on that kind of stuff i was um oh and i guess there's also a 2500 hundred dollar grand prize but i really don't think that we have any shot at that so you're such a pessimist yes well i'm realist i would say but yes. <laughs> some people say that I, I don't disagree with you although i'm really proud of our entry Yes, I I think that uh, well, mostly I'm like I'm glad that we made a um a, a pro, like a game. Like we shipped a game, you know. That's a great feeling, <laughs> like just finishing. And it feels kind of like,
1: you know, it's cohesive and we hit most of the stuff we wanted to hit. Like, I would say from that perspective it's a great success. And also, one of the things that we made sure of with this game is that we wanted to make sure that we would be able to license it to portals, you know, cuz that's kind of our yeah. business model right now is yeah. creating mobile games and licensing them to various HTML5 game portals on the web.
0: So I, I wrote an article, actually, on the blog, which I'll link to in the show notes, uh, talking a little bit about the process of making Asylum Night and all that. And uh, what was the thing you just said before that? Oh, right. The thing that the, the way that we could uh justify doing the speed run in the first place like we couldn't really afford to take you know th- three days or so and just kind of donate them to just a like a project for fun so w- the way we justified it is you know we, we're going to make a game that we know that we can license to portal providers so it's like we can actually make money from this time that we're sinking into this you know yeah and that was really important too like uh so that was like from the ground up like any ideas that we had when we um got uh, our theme and our element. Oh, we should, we should talk about that too. Um, we would just throw those ideas out if they involved like the keyboard or if they were very, you know, tied to a given platform that wouldn't work very well on mobile.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we need to play with our strengths and play to our strengths rather. Play to and, our, yeah. Uh, one of those is the fact that our engine works really well on mobile. So. Yeah, so we should take advantage of
0: that. Um, so that was the other thing is this is pretty common too. Like Ludum Dare does this. I don't know if Global Game Jam does this or not, but you're given um, a random theme Mm-hmm. and uh so let's say for example like uh the theme that we got was telepathy i've seen before on uh for ludum daria it was like your theme might be like hope mm-hmm. or uh what was the most recent one it was like you are the you are you're the, the, the enemy. villain you're the villain yeah, yeah. that was actually pretty awesome that's a really cool idea I, that's yeah. that seems cool um rich davy who we've had on the podcast before he made a little game where um it just plays exactly like frogger except you're sending you're sending the cars yeah you control <laughs> the cars that <laughs> that's was, pretty fun. that's pretty funny uh like so we that. got telepathy and then uh indie speedrun also has this uh, additional element that you have to integrate into your game design and the, i think the reason they do that is just to kind of help prevent cheating a little bit you know because um, it is kind of on the honor system a little like you've got this 48 hour window but like you know they have all these um these concessions like use whatever tools you want it's like someone could be like oh my theme is uh you know you are the um, enemy or you're the villain well great i've got this game from right. a couple of years ago i was banging i'll just kind of copy paste this here. so yeah they, they did had it the
1: really smartly you know like when you sign up and you pay your fee yeah you, have and to you pay say too. go you get your theme right then and then they start the clock on you and then they have you know a timer that says how long you have to submit so um, yeah they did like in the best possible way i think yeah the, the
0: 25 uh entry fee kind of like is just a you know barricade to, help, to prevent people from like they, they sign up and they get a theme and they're like oh this is terrible I don't want this theme so they sign up again and it's like yeah, yeah technically I guess you could do that but that's gonna that's gonna cost you cash money you know right and you get a different theme right? yeah like, I would yeah, think so yeah I guess that's the point right like if you want it, if you don't
1: like your theme you can get a different one right eh I think it's more fun to just take what you're given and roll with it
0: I was a little nervous I have to say because like what if we got like you know well there were some ones we were looking at they were like
1: hippopotamus and
0: I saw one that was parenting, and I was like, I don't know anything about parenting.
1: I have no interest in that. Parenting and dinosaurs or something.
0: Oh, that... Okay. That was one. I could see that being kind of interesting, like... The Abbey game. You're trying to... uh, You're a big dinosaur trying to protect your babies or something. I guess I could see that. That sounds kind of fun. But what we got was uh, telepathy was our theme, and our element was Booby traps. Which I think is a pretty awesome combo. I was thrilled. I was like,
1: this is great. Like, I don't know what we're going to do yet, but this is fantastic. But it's like, it's something that you can work with, right? Like, telepathy is pretty cool. Boo-boo traps are cool and kind of a staple in a lot of different game genres. Yeah. Tower defense, which is kind of what we ended up going with anyway.
0: Yeah. I, I do, uh, I, I read a lot about like game jams and best practices and like how to prepare for a game jam and stuff like that and uh i'd seen all these things like one thing you should do is practice ahead of time and i didn't really do any of that sharpen your tools a little bit would help too but we didn't really do any of that i guess they're already pretty sharp because we were we use them every day so yeah um but uh the interesting thing was like the like you're supposed to sink maybe four to six hours of time into just the design when you do like a 48 hour game jam you're supposed to spend a lot of time just talking about the game and like fleshing out issues and uh and all that, which is like, it, it feels a little counterintuitive, because when you've only got 48 hours, the pressure's really on, and you're like, man, I need to be coding, I need to be making art, like, I need to be getting this game, you know, out the door, so when you're just sitting there, like, blah, 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 just talking, and you're talking about ideas that aren't good, and you're, ta- and you're like, throwing, you know, you're brainstorming and stuff, it, it can feel kind of counterproductive? A little bit,
1: but I think that we've gotten to the point where we understand the value of knowing things ahead of time, and, like, we've we've fallen in that trap of, like, Many let's times. just start coding right away. Oh, and yeah. there's times that um, it's really, you know, the first thing we did when we got our theme is like, okay, let's Google Hangout and talk about this for a couple of hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we still have like uh, recent wounds from falling in those traps of, you know, doing one doing something too early, like coding before you know what, what in the world you're actually building. Or just glossing over features, right? like That's our biggest problem, I think, yeah. Like, oh, the game will have enemies. No problem. No problem. We can make... like It'll have attacking. Right. Yeah. Like, okay, attacking. That's easy, right? And then later we were actually implementing the attack mechanic and we're like, oh, like in, unless you're cloning some game that did it perfectly, it's actually really hard to come up with your own unique attack mechanic that feels good and is easy to balance and all that. So, uh, yeah, we spent the first, I'd say, four-ish hours. Kind of just, yeah, thinking about the design and... Throwing out ideas that don't sound good. And eventually we came... Um, and we also had these uh, these other requirements that like we were talking about. Like, it wasn't just that we had to do telepathy and booby traps, but we also wanted it to work on mobile and be a kind of an arcade style game where, like, portals would like it, where you can just get a high score. And it's like, right. you know, we wouldn't want something like, example, um, like a persistent world-building sim. Wouldn't probably perform on the portals as well because, you know, you kind of would just want the kind of gameplay where somebody comes in, plays a game, and they get a high score and they get out right and then you can sit like these portals we work with almost always have like a high score API they want us to use so like that kind of a model is, is just gonna work better I think It'd be easier to license so we came up with like uh, kind of used uh, Plants vs. Zombies as kind of a base framework and we we're like so the idea is um, because it's about the mind like it's telepathy you're uh, an ins- uh, a mental patient in a insane asylum Right, and then so the enemies coming after you are all like psychotic doctors and stuff, and they've got like blood on them, and they've got hacksaws, and they just look evil and stuff, right? I kind of like the um, the twist we have on that theme, though, is that
1: you have sanity, and your sanity is your currency for building traps and using your yeah. abilities, but it's also your life bar.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, I think that was probably born out of our uh, inkling recently to not add anything to the design unless we have to. Like, I think the old us would have been like, okay, you've got a health meter and you've got a sanity meter. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We would just throw features in casually. And then later we would start tripping over these features and be like, Whoa, whoa, whoa why did we add this in the first place? You know, it kind of makes for an interesting dynamic
1: where you can't just, you know, willy nilly play stuff. You have to keep an eye on the fact that, uh, you know, your sanity's is running low and you have to pick up the power ups or else
0: you know, you won't be able to
1: cast as much stuff or...
0: Yeah. Whatever. There's a little bit of strategy where, like, um, you might have to, like, the doctors are coming towards you slowly, so you might have some time, but it's, like, high pressure, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, you can't actually kill them yet, but you can't actually use the abilities because you've got to go pick up some pills first, so maybe you have to wait till some doctors behind them get up by traps first and drop some pills, because pills are how you restore your sanity. Yeah. Anyways, you should check it out. Um, Matt will link to it on the blog. Yeah, uh, it's it's currently only being hosted on the Escapist website, uh, but it's playable there, and uh, the votes do matter. So if you're there, uh, we appreciate votes. Oh, totally. Although we actually have a pretty decent rating right now. It's right? got a four out of five. That's yeah. better than any game we've ever launched before. <laughs> Onslaught Arena and Lunchbug on the various platforms that they're on have all pretty much um, averaged out to like threes. Yeah. Pretty much. So I'm I'm thrilled with anything above that. Well, it could just be you know not enough votes. Uh, yeah, it could be. We <laughs> need to get more votes to even out to three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was really fun, and uh, it kind of like reignited our um, our excitement, I guess, about game dev because we were just kind of coming out of the um, what is that called the the slog, where we were like we had these two three month projects, and we're we're kind of just they're they're both just going badly pretty much in lots of different ways, you know.
1: It's hard. I mean, we're definitely you know we're a small studio, and so it's easy. We're a small student and we're ambitious, and so it makes it yeah. easy to kind of get in and over our heads sometimes.
0: We're small and we're young and we're relatively inexperienced and we're ambitious, so yeah. We're like a, there's, Every single day is a constant battle between like what you want to do and what can actually be done. It, it was very refreshing, actually, to, to at least prove to ourselves that we could build
1: a sellable game experience in two days you know, after yeah. kind of working on bigger projects that you know month-long things, and they're a lot harder to see through to the end
0: yeah I, I like don't want to plan anymore for three months like like if today somebody walked up to us and was like okay we want you guys to build a game in three months on our platform you know let's talk i would be like like we actually talked about this last time we were like let's make a one month game right yeah we, we did utter those words but like that is not at all what ended up happening we, we had the right intentions with the last project but we just uh we got lost along the way
1: which i, th- I think is understandable it's but. hard sometimes when so we get into the code and we start prototyping. We start going on all these crazy tangents.
0: Well, the fact of the matter is that, like, three months uh, is just not enough time to do every single task if you're trying to create new game mechanics on top of, like, an unproven platform. Like, you, you really need to create something focused and borrow heavily from... Like, like, stand on the, the shoulders of other designers, you know? Like, like what we were trying to do was um, was prototype a brand new game mechanic from scratch with all these crazy parameters, and that's just really, really hard to do. We got to the point where it was just, like, after, f- like, we'd failed enough times on prototypes, which, that's just gonna happen mm-hmm. in the process of towards finding a great prototype. We just ran out of time, we were like, well, we need to just commit to something. So, we committed to the most, like, known, uh, doable game design we could think of, you know? Right. And that's not always ideal. Like I don't know. We probably would have had a much better game if we had more time, but like that's probably true for every game out there. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point we have to ship stuff. It is yeah, exactly. But I think it kind of the last couple of projects
1: and the indie speedrun have kind of hammered home the fact that we should be working on smaller projects, more smaller projects um, until we kind of find the thing that we want to work on that's going to be a big game.
0: Yeah, definitely um i don't know it's given me a lot of confidence now that we can make really small games and ship them quickly and uh that's kind of led to us like re-examining all of our current projects yeah so we'll see what ends up coming out of that anyways
1: i had a lot of fun doing mcb run so i i would totally do it again next time i have it yeah
0: absolutely um that was really great fun so um what else do we want to talk about? Uh, GitHub Game Off, uh, while we're on the topic of game jams. So let me tell you a little bit about GitHub Game Off. This is a contest that GitHub uh, put on a few months ago. Um, might, might have just been a month ago. But uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, it was, um, you have a month to make a game. And the theming has to be just something about Git. So that can involve, like, if you're familiar with Git, it's a versioning... Um, system, It's got commands like uh, like fork and clone and merge. So it's like if you branch. can come up with branch, yeah, all those things. Like any, any uh, game that matches any of those themes uh, is totally appropriate for GitHub Game Off. So we had a lot of uh, entries that were like, you know, about um, branches. Like one was literally trees hmm. with branches, right? Sure, there's a lot of cloning. Yeah, exactly. Um, hopefully you can't hear this really loud motorcycle outside. I don't understand how that happens. It's like the speed limit's 20 20 miles per hour outside out. <laughs> Sounds like guys go like 100. Just <laughs> anyway. got a loud bike. Yeah. Um so that was really interesting. The other requirement was that it uh be playable in the browser and that it uh, be a fork of this one repository that they made which I mean that doesn't really matter because it's it was really just an empty repository it just needed like a readme and um, that was really just like their way like their entry point I think that's a way to keep track right because then they can just go look at
1: all the forks of this repo or all the entries essentially Yeah.
0: and then Lee Riley made us a little script that would go through and like um, anything that was just a fork and nothing else or like didn't have a playable game or whatever it would just kind of eliminate them from the um, yeah so there was like uh, I want to say was it 200? Wow. Or was it, uh, I might be getting it mixed up with indie speedrun. run, uh, but we can check now cause they're all, they're all live. Um, so yeah, I, I, played, uh, every single one. It was pretty fun. I played a lot of them with my wife. We were just like, um, when the day was over and just kind of winding down, we just start playing games and, uh, it was great cause they were all playable in the browser. There was a, a lot of unity games though. And, um, I just am not interested in installing, um, plugins on my Mac. So I was like, we were playing them in the uh, family room up in the big screen, you know. Um, a lot of them had severe issues like i just <laughs> the the theme tended to be like i don't know what's happening <laughs> you know what i mean uh but i guess that's just the kind of like comes with the territory yeah um there were some really solid games in there and um i was actually talking to uh john john polson from um uh, indie, indie games uh about cuz he was going to write a blog about it on indie games but i guess i didn't work out but i was uh i emailed him some of my favorites and some blurbs about them so what i'll do is i'll just go ahead and include those in this blog post hmm. and link to them in the show notes let me make a note on that so i don't forget um include recommendations yeah for indie speedrun or no no this is github game off i'm getting my i'm getting my my jams mixed up all right um so yeah there was there was some really cool games that came out of it there was one that was really interesting that i didn't really have enough time to explore I, uh, what was this called was it code off um I'll, I'll link to it but it was like um you put these two robots against each other right mm-hmm. and every turn they run they execute some code and you control what that code is and it was written in javascript and and the com- like you have to use this um api they provide you which is like you know you have your robot and you'll say like robot.turn and then robot.fire and mm. move left or whatever sounds kind of like uh robo rally yeah, probably a lot like RoboRally, only instead of like having a you know nice interface, like drag and drop or whatever, for everyday people, it was like for coders to right. insert some JavaScript. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That's a really interesting concept, but I feel like it's not very accessible. Oh, it's not at all, no. Yeah, it's, it's made for um, people who write JavaScript. Um, Which, of course, there are a lot. See, that's the thing about games, though, is like they... Um, you, you can make games that appeal to just a very small subset of people, but like 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 Minecraft could very well have been that because there are programming aspects to it, mm-hmm. but because it has these accessible, like like the entry point is very accessible, like like even a child could get into it. Um, that's what really enables it to be successful, you know? And I'm kind of wondering if the next game they're working on, I don't even know how to pronounce it, some like hexadecimal number. What, oh, OX10C? Sure. He actually said it in the indie game, or no, sorry, Minecraft, the movie. Oh. but i wasn't really paying attention apparently he was trying to keep the pronunciation a secret huh. but then in um in the movie he was like are we talking about OXNC? and I, I don't know how exactly he pronounced it but then he was like oh no i said it Damn it! <laughs> uh but yeah anyway little tangent yeah that's kind of a programming game for as much as i know about it yeah i heard that uh, so this is minecraft's or the mojang the maker of minecraft their new game um we're talking this is what we're talking about. And apparently, it's uh, a game about, like, you are a captain on a ship, and the whole deal is that you can program your ship. Right. He made this little programming language or something. I do really know a lot about it, but... Yeah, it's
1: got its like, own processor with its own instruction set or something. It's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. seems like the next logical step, I mean, and, um, like, in Minecraft, someone's already, like, a year ago or something, mm-hmm. someone made a, uh, a computer, like, a 16-bit computer inside of Minecraft. Yeah, that's craziness. crazy. Um, what i see just recently oh i sent yeah i sent you a link to this i'll put it in the show notes too uh minecraft is now hackable with javascript
1: oh that's pretty fun
0: i don't play minecraft much right now so i doubt that i would get into it but i like the idea of it well plus you and i were xbla players really so i, I re, like that's never going to be a feature on xbox minecraft i kind of like
1: games though that like
0: i don't know i mm. don't like
1: to bot games you wait, say again? I don't like to bot games. What does that mean? Like, I, I like to play them instead of, like, writing scripts to play it for me.
0: Oh, I see. Oh, okay. That's probably a WoW term
1: then, right? Well, botting in general. I guess it, it does apply to MMOs because people write bots to farm gold and stuff for them.
0: A friend of mine I was talking to was saying that he used to, when he was playing WoW, he would have a little, this, I don't know if this is botting or similar, but he would have three accounts that were tied to one input. And how he would hit like forward on one and all three characters move Uh, forward. That's called (laughs) multi-boxing. Multi-boxing? Yeah. Not botting? No. Okay. Well, because they're not really bots. They're
1: basically, you're just sending, you're forking your input, right? When you press up, it goes to three different clients or X number of clients instead of just one. Yeah. And so, I used to know a guy that I worked with at Yahoo Games that um, did PVP arenas in a while with multi-boxing. And so, you know, he would hit like lightning bolt and all five of his characters would lightning bolt the same target (laughs) once. (laughs) That's awesome. Huh. Uh, It's kind of lame, like, from a competitive standpoint, but it's interesting.
0: It is cool that you can do that, though. Yeah. That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. So, I'm looking forward... Like, someone's going to make something really cool in Minecraft with JavaScript. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is yet, but um, a friend of mine, actually, uh, he's... uh, Josh is his name. He goes by Creative Assassin Online. He does a lot of, like... um, for uh for games radar he did this uh magic the gathering set uh done for zelda style that's pretty cool like you take every character from zelda and you make magic cards out of them i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well man um,
1: i was talking to my brother yesterday actually sean and uh he was saying that we should make a ccg type game yeah i uh, really actually want to, andrea
0: was telling me that just yesterday as well she's saying that they're doing really good right now and, like, you and I are both, like, we love magic, I think. We are, like, I cannot tell you how many hundreds of hours I've put into magic. I've still got my box up in my closet. Like, I just, I can't get myself to get rid of them. I play magic online with my brother, like, at least once a week, probably. Wow, yeah, I think you're a little uh, more into it currently than I am, but it seems it sounds like back in the day we were both way into it. Oh, yeah, but, like, middle school, yeah, yeah. that was all about it, until um, they banned the cards
1: at my school because people kept getting beat up and having their cards stolen.
0: Yeah, yeah my my friend josh that i'm talking about he's he's hardcore into magic as well obviously yeah um so he made he's been working on like i b- I bought him minecraft for his last birthday which was like two Februarys ago and uh he's just been working on this one world just go in and like work on an area until it's beautiful and just add hidden secrets to it and stuff yeah. and i was like a- as i'm watching him like he came and visited out here in california um about a month ago and he was showing me his world, and it took like an hour just to walk through and show me all the content he'd built. Wow! And the whole time I'm looking at, it, I'm like, "This is just something like mist, you know? Like this could be a game. All he needs is like, uh, you need some original graphics because Minecraft or Mojang would have, um, you right. know, rights to those. And I was like, He needs some kind of sc- like very simple scripting engine in here, just like." Um, you know, like you turn everything off, like it's not destructible anymore. But some certain things are, maybe. He should be using like uh game maker or something. He should be using game or maker. Construct too, or something. I saw it just recently there was an article. Um, what was the game called? Cart Life is getting a lot of attention right now, and it's this um game that's like an IGF finalist, and it was built in uh, AGS, which is just like um you know those old Sierra games. Yeah. Adventure point and click games like um Kings, Kings Quest West. and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Quest for Glory and um. Uh, there's a whole slew of them, um, but he used that like as a tool that was never meant to be used for any type of game that wasn't that type of game. But he he made a whole game with like all these different modes of gameplay and stuff um, using that tool. Interesting. It just goes to show. I'll, okay, right now I'll put another um, article to uh, AGS or link link to article about AGS. Uh, it's is really cool. You, you should read this article if this interests you. Um, but yeah, he he made a whole game in this uh, this. Game making tool that was not intended to be used that way at all. Hmm. And it's totally playable and uh and it's getting a lot of attention. It's really interesting stuff. Just goes to show that like you can make a game. This guy's down a programmer, you know? Yeah, that's true. The tools are getting pretty good. Yeah. I'm kinda worried that we'll um you know. We will. <laughs> we'll be dinosaurs.
1: Yes, that's the word I was looking
0: for. We will. Like like five or ten years from now, everyone's like, like you write code by hand? What kind of idiot are you? Yeah, they're like, I made this game on my iPad and it's like better than anything we've ever made, and we're like Sitting here just coding, like, oh, <laughs> we're slower and worse and stupider than you guys. <laughs> That's fine. Hopefully not. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, lots of interesting stuff. Uh, wow, there's going to be a lot of links in these um, in these show notes. That's so good. Be sure it's to a lot of interesting
1: stuff. Actually, there's a couple other things I wanted to mention since you mentioned Minecraft. I saw a couple great demos the other day. Uh, one was Minecraft in WebGL, and the other one was uh, Minecraft in just Canvas. But obviously with like a 3D perspective hmm. and they both ran really well and felt really great and obviously the uh, the canvas one had a lot shorter of a view depth sure where they use like jail. depth
0: of like fog of depth or whatever
1: yeah I mean like you, you can only see so far in front of you just because it was probably more expensive to write yeah out. you kind of have to do that but uh maybe if we can take up the links you can include those too because I thought those are both pretty impressive
0: you know um I'm continuing to read um Jesse Schell's uh, The Art of Game Design Book of Lenses hmm um i just I, I read it when i'm getting my tattoo done and i had a session last week and um your ultras looks really good by the way thanks i'll, I'll put a link to that um ultras in the um show notes as well yeah it's coming along he said i've only got three sessions left but i that's a dirty lie i don't think that's true yeah i think it's more <laughs> having
1: seen how much work has been done on previous <laughs> sessions like i don't
0: think there's any way this is six so far yeah right yeah there's no way <laughs> and so if he wants to do all this as well that's ugh Anyway, um, where's I going with that? Oh, I was reading Jesse Schell's book, and he was talking about how they had a... I don't even know if it was a game he was working on or just a story he was telling, but uh, there was some hardware that they were working on this game with where, like, it was 3D, but they couldn't draw stuff very far into the background, right? Mm -hmm. So they had to use fog, but because of some weird hardware requirement, maybe it was like an arcade cabinet, like they had to build for very specific hardware. I'm not not really sure, but the, the fog had to be green. Hmm. And so uh, they ended up working that end of the story, like the world was taken over by aliens and there's this green fog everywhere that's toxic to people. Hmm. And it's like it ended up working out, kind of. Like it helped the environment, you know, helped the atmosphere of the game.
1: I think we work best under hard constraints. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, I was really proud of our indie speedrun entry and the fact is that we had four big constraints. One was time. Big. That's was the, the element in the theme. Yep, and then the fourth one was our own constraint of wanting to be able to sell the game.
0: I think that that extra constraint that we added, like we didn't add that for any reason to help the game. We added it just to help us financially, right? To justify the time spent yeah, making the game. But that really did help. Like it doesn't even seem like you might not that you might need that many constraints, but like it really helped us. It's like this this guide because you have so many decisions to make when you have this. I mean, even telepathy and and booby traps, that's extremely open-ended. It really is, You could make any kind of a game out of that, you know? But when you add the additional thing, like, okay, well, it needs to work with mobile, so it needs to have this really simple input mechanism, like you can just touch it or just click or whatever, right? That really helped, because any time we had this tough decision to make, we would just look back to that.
1: Yeah, it's really easy to cull features when you're like, you know, this
0: will take six hours. Nope. yes (laughs) Great. yes <laughs> actually so if you if you go play the game you'll see that the avatar that represents you on the left is this little guy um with crazy hair and crazy eyes and he's in a um straitjacket right and uh his eyes are going crazy and he's struggling and everything and uh so I, I put that stuff in there with the intention of later um having those effects kind of scale based on your sanity right so when you start the game off and your sanity completely full he would just kind of be sitting there maybe struggling a little bit and he looks normal right but as you like your insanity bar depletes as you um use your telepathy and as the doctors still do, deal damage to you and then and i was going to have it scale and make him crazier and his eyes start going crazy and he starts struggling as as your sanity goes down but i realized how long that would take yeah. and it's like not terribly long but a couple of hours just to kind of make it feel good and work it make it work on the slide and hook up all the events and stuff and like there's so many other things that were more important yeah i was like well okay like um finishing the game scrap that so i just, I just threw it out and uh <laughs> in retrospect i mean it probably didn't even need those effects like it um it could have just been a little avatar standing there sitting there i guess because like but the struggling was so easy to do with the doll animations it was pretty easy but like i i would love to know how long that actually took like maybe we could look at the git logs or something mm. but like in in retrospect it's not where you are going to be spending time looking at the screen when you're playing the game yeah it was probably not the best place to spend your time when you only have 48 hours how much time did you spend on art altogether do you think uh it wasn't that bad because um well, I, had the, I did Lunchbug, and then Lava Blade, and then with Crypt Run, we had, uh, it was like using all the lessons we learned from there, but it was also like trying to focus, like Crypt Run specifically, was trying to focus on how to make the, uh, the art more effective mm-hmm. and efficient, and so the art style, and like in Crypt Run is about, I've estimated it's about three times faster than Lava Blade. So um, by the time we were working on Asylum Night, um, I had this really fast uh, method for producing artwork, so um, let me think. So I started or I started working on stuff the first day and I think I just wrapped some stuff up the second day like I added the uh, the hacksaw um and then I guess the environment was done first day too not that long man like like 6 hours total or something That's great. It's really fast. A lot of that though comes from the fact that we have our doll tool. Like if I was going to be doing 60 frames of animation <laughs> no. there's no way to hand draw
1: that I'm basically not interested in doing any more games that require like sprite animation. No not really at least not until we're you know we have like a full-time artist or something on staff
0: (laughs) yes yeah i'm just all about how can we be most effective yeah and like all all, like uh for example onslaught no reason that game needs eight directions no like we just completely arbitrarily doubled our workload and pixel art takes a long time it does yeah uh well so at the time like the, the reason we started onslaught um with pixel art like our very first game was pixel art is because it was faster like if you only have 16 by 16 little block to make the main character and that's only 256 pixels that's 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 not that hard to find something that works that looks good there and there's also this like giant library of uh of previous work you can look at like how many classic nes and super nintendo games and whatever else are there where they have really great sprites and that they've managed to make look good these tiny little squares Mm -hmm. so you can kind of look at what they've done and kind of hopefully add your own unique spin to it and stuff you know um, but these days, I, I've tried to, like, branch out a little bit more on my own. And it's, like, I'm trying to learn the lessons of how pixel art can be really fast. But, I'm, like, the style looks a little more vectorish, even though I'm still working in Photoshop.
1: <laughs> I think it's great. I love the way Lava Blade looks. I love the way Krypton looks. Great. And, Thanks, dude. Uh, obviously, Asylum Knight looks great, too. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just thrilled because it's... Um, I feel like, like, at least for the time being, it's good enough and it's very fast. And it's not... It's, like... Uh, basically the, the whole process of me doing a, like all the artwork for the last like two years or three years or so is just trying to find a really inexpensive way for us to ship graphics. Right. And it's like, if, if at any point along there we had found someone like like a Joshua Morse equivalent of oh, a graphic artist, yeah. um, that would have solved the problem. But um, I don't know. Since that doesn't happen, now we have it in our pipeline. Like we can quickly make cheap, decent graphics. Yeah. And that's really, that's like, that's critical, right? It is. Because
1: I mean, I, I think that we're at a, a nice sweet spot where the graphics look good. They're consistent. You have like a nice palette that you use for the game. Like That's the really game important. looks coherent and well put together. Um, but we're not, you know, paying lots of money <laughs> or spending lots of time
0: on it. We kind of were like relatively like back when I was doing the onslaught artwork. It was really expensive. That's true. Um, because not not just because we. Um, well, I, I was slower because I was more novice. And we had those arbitrary, like, oh, you need to face eight directions for some reason. And it's like, that was doubly as expensive as it should have been. So it's like, a lot of that time, like, you know, time um, is money, basically. I mean, I know that's a cliche and all that, but like, we're not drawing paychecks, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I, I guess when we were working on an Onslaught, like Raptor was paying us. So it's like, if it took, you know, three weeks to do the art or whatever, then like, well, yeah, we're, we're still making part-time. money on the side and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. But these days, it is very much like, if the art is going to take a week, okay, that's going to cost us like $1,000 or something, right? Mm-hmm. If we can do it in two days, like, ooh, like Even we're starting, yeah, we need we're to really saving money. Yes, it is It is money in our pockets, like time that we can save ourselves. It really, really is. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Anyway, um, I forgot where we were going with that. Let me open up the. Um, sorry, I had a computer crash. Hopefully, you won't even notice that it happened. If you're listening to the podcast, you'll be like, "Really? When did it crash?" But it might be pretty obvious. I don't know. But let me pull the notes back up. Um, so we'd already talked about indie speedrun and get up, game off. Um, oh, we were going to talk about uh, unit testing. Um, so reader, uh, or sorry, listener Crow Waller um, asked us the question: uh, How do we do unit testing? We we're, don't. Or do we do unit testing? <laughs> <laughs> No, we don't. We, we have before. Um, yeah, when I was at Yahoo, we had to do unit testing. Yeah. I have. I don't know. Unit
1: testing to me is one of those things where I feel like I understand that it can have value. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there's people on both sides of the fence that are very passionate about one way or the other.
0: I know some people who are very passionate about unit testing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like we don't just because when we were learning to program like that wasn't a thing and I mean I guess that you know we could adapt to evolve and
0: Yeah, it's kinda of like how we were raised, right? <laughs> yeah. But
1: <laughs> especially for games too, games are difficult. I mean one of our other listeners was actually pointing out too that um you know it's it's hard to reuse game code and I think that we found that um well, time and time really again. I mean obviously is. we reuse our engine, but um a lot of the code we write for our games we kind of intend on using again but it doesn't it it ends up being so domain specific that it's hard to do that
0: we had something with uh, you were doing this for Crypt Run you had this really abstract system where like I am a entity in the world and I just happen to be a player but that doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and I have um, inventory And and inventory has main hand and main hand has equipment and equipment is the sword Right. and it came to the point where it was like when you were in one place of the code like let's say the uh, the view layer like the, the user interface wants to be like well what kind of weapon do you have it became like a task to right. be like oh, you have to drill do down through all that? these layers of abstraction yeah yeah and so we're, we're pivoting a little more now where it's like now we're just kind of just sticking it in the game and um, I think it's smart especially for the first time that you do something because we talk about this a lot the first time you do just about anything it's going to kind of suck I
1: think the first three times for several (laughs) things like the entity component system I think I've written three different versions of that now and some of them like I I wrote a really crappy one for Asylum Knight and I wrote a better one for Cryptron and then we have like kind of a hodgepodge of OOP and entity component or sorry not OOP but like um, inheritance model for uh, Lava Blade
0: and OOP uh, in case you missed it that's uh, object oriented programming Yes. Just FYI. Context. Um, but so, yeah. So, like, we're, like after doing three iterations of the entity component, like, how do you feel about it now? I
1: feel like it's overkill in some regards. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good for a game where you have a lot of different stuff in the world. Like, Krypton, actually, it works really well because there's so many different things that you can have in the world. Right. Um, but for maybe a different game where there's, like, only a few kinds of things and they're very similar, then... Maybe it doesn't make as much sense because there are a lot of interesting problems with being able to hook up events and, you know, cross component communication, and things like that. And I'm still a big fan of entity component, obviously, but I do feel like there's a time and place. And I guess I kind of feel that way about unit testing as well. I could see unit testing some of our core libraries, um, perhaps like our math libraries and things like that, just to make sure there's no regression. But you know, I, I think the thing for me with unit testing is that I've never really been bitten hard enough by it. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the way I feel about, like, comma first, right? Like, comma <laughs> first is this really annoying syntactic um, preference that is, is basically all about minimizing errors in your code. Yeah. At least that's the way that I've heard the argument made. And I've just never been bit by that problem enough where I was like, this is a good idea. You know, yeah, and I fi- I find the same thing with unit testing. I've never been bit hard enough where I feel like, oh, okay, now it's time to do unit testing because I could have avoided all this work.
0: Yeah, there are some, uh, I guess, external reasons to th- to consider unit testing. Is like um, it'll let you know when uh, a given platform breaks. So a while ago, I, we probably talked about this in the podcast. I don't really remember, but uh, Chrome had decided to break the request animation frame API. Annoying, yeah. Uh, which to me, like I—that's the first, probably the very first thing Chrome has ever done that's pissed me off to the point where I'm like mad at Chrome now, <laughs> right? Like, like that's happened. Like Firefox did it to me so many times over the you know five ten years I was using that browser that. <laughs> It's, it's done now. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. like Chrome, this is the first major thing and uh, it just manifested itself uh, just recently. I don't think I told you about this. I know. I saw you
1: tweet about it. Oh,
0: you, okay. But And you probably also saw the tickets. Yeah. During so basically the way it happens was, um, Oh, how did it specifically manifest itself? It was like the first. It was like a negative delta time. Right. But like something wasn't happening because audio. of that. Something audio. audio
1: audio. it was like some audio wasn't stopping or playing or something
0: oh right um we wanted uh the sound to fade in Mm -hmm. right and uh because of the way it worked the first tick that that it would see would be crazy negative so like normally what it does is it uh, takes it starts at zero and it takes the delta of the the time that's elapsed and it's like um you know okay i'm gonna add i'm gonna be adding 20 milliseconds per tick to this and eventually i'm gonna get up to you know, a second, and mm-hmm. after a second, I want to be at full volume, right? But because of this crazy negative delta, when Chrome broke the, the API, the number was like minus 50 trillion. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I'm just going to hope you don't mind waiting 3 billion years <laughs> <laughs> because that's how long it's going to take for your sound right. to
1: fade in. It was basically uh, um, the amount of milliseconds from now till the Unix epoch, which is like, you know, or no, it wasn't. We we were using date.now and comparing it against the new value that Chrome was passing into Request Animation Frame, which was the number of milliseconds since the tab was opened.
0: So right. those
1: are two very different values, right?
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other one would the other one have been the amount of milliseconds since the Unix Epoch. Yes, <laughs> that's a big number. Yeah, I just saw on Slashdot today there was an article about how we only have 25 years left until the Unix timestamp is bigger than a 32-bit signed integer. Interesting. <laughs> so in 25 years we're gonna have another one of those like, you know, Y2K-ish <laughs> problems, right? Yeah. That'll be interesting. Huh. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that. I, I guess like if let's say we did have unit tests set up like. Um, it wouldn't be even necessarily anything that was wrong with our code. but We would notice that suddenly Chrome wasn't working anymore. That's
1: another problem, too, with the web development stack. It's hard to automate a lot of the kind of testing we would need. For one, a lot of our stuff is extremely visual. Yes, it know? is. Yeah. And second, uh, we have about 10 different platforms that we would like to ideally test on, right? Like you want to test the code in all the major browsers. Yep. We'd love to test it in JS. We'd love to test it inside of our Mac OS X wrapper you know blah yeah. blah blah you know we run on so many different javascript vms that you know just testing against maybe a headless v8 would only really get us so far right yeah and it takes a lot of time honestly to do that and write the code and for being a small shop like we are two guys and like you and I are pretty much in sync on the code a lot a and lot yeah we kind of have a great separation you know like I work on kind of the more back endy stuff and you work on the more front endy stuff yep and uh, that that works out really well um, so I think in maybe a different environment where we had more teammates it would make more sense right if we had a lot of people committing to the
0: code but I can quickly see how um, like let's say we started working um, more directly with, with like Joshua or another developer like I can quickly see how it can be more important to have better project stuff in place you know yeah. but yeah especially because it is just the two of us we spend a lot of time um, what we call double dragoning where we're both on like you put the put the code up on the big screen we're both watching each other code at the same time so it's like yeah. If problems are going to arise, like uh, almost always one or the other of us can see it. So I guess the upshot of the conversation
1: is that we don't really unit test very much, but I think that's a lot uh, to do with uh, kind of clear, our specific. To be clear, we
0: don't unit test whatsoever. Okay, that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but and, uh,
1: it's not because it's a bad idea or we think it's a bad idea. It's just, there's a lot of ways to spend our time and that's not one of the ways I want to be spending my time right I'll,
0: now. I'll offer this up too. Um, so the the current version of Lava Blade that um, people on our alpha um, mailing list, which I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, um, newsletter. They um, The game there is uh, like we spend a lot of time polishing it and it's kind of a turd. So it's like a polished turd, right? And another way to look at that is if like if it was a polished turd that was also working really great backed up with user tests, like that still wouldn't get our company any further along, right?
1: That's true, yeah. Our biggest issues are kind of things that you can't really test for,
0: right? Yeah. Well, I guess my point is, like, first we need a really great game that monetizes well and has excellent polish and is, like, it's it's worth the time, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, like, this is a solid product that that is performing really well, and then it might be worth it to come back and be, like, okay, we're going to put some unit tests on this to make sure it's not breaking because it is performing really well, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't really have any games out there right now that would benefit from being really crazily robust. Right. Because if they fell over, like, some of our games could just be down. We wouldn't even know about it until... (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> they don't get that much play like first we need excellent well, products i think that there's
1: also i mean monitoring is something we do have right like i have some alerts in aws well, that will let us know if the game is down right completely and so that's i think monitoring is different from unit testing i guess that's true yeah but uh i don't know i guess i think it's a good idea It, it it's something that's gonna be dependent on your environment you know
0: mm-hmm yeah, your miles may vary. Uh definitely at a bigger company. Like when I was uh, we were doing it at Yahoo, um it was cool. I don't know about that actually. I I thought it was even overkill at Yahoo. I mean Wow.
1: I I understand the the need for it, but the well, how way How many were on your
0: team? Huh? How many were on your team? 6 to 8. Okay. So when I, the team I was on was the Yahoo application platform and uh they had, depending on if there was a, a what's called a tiger team to come in and help, they would have anywhere between uh, twenty and eighty developers. Okay, yeah, you guys probably need either. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: games was actually pretty tight knit. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And a lot of the guys that were on games had been there like ten years, so a really interesting team. It was kind of, um, I would say, like one of the last bastions of like um,
0: small startup environment. Yeah. Type situation within Yahoo, in a big company. Right? Yeah
1: because we were always like we we had a different stack than everybody else and we had a small team and we didn't really integrate like when i was leaving yahoo we had just integrated like the front end platform maple you know but before right, right. that we had all kinds of custom stuff it was almost like its own little world within yahoo
0: yeah i
1: know those other teams like that as well but yeah but anyways like and, and so what basically happened is that we had like some new vp come in above us right and like there was this mandate where you know, you need to have 80% code coverage, and you need to have, like, all these, like, CI tests passing and this, that, and the other thing. And it's really hard to go back into instrument code that wasn't written with unit tests in mind. Yeah. Uh, after the fact, especially when it's, like, code that's, you know, several
0: years old. And none of the people that originally wrote it are still there. Well, not none, but some. Refresh my memory here. Uh, this might not even be about unit testing, but I think it is. Uh, back when we were working at Raptor, the two of us, um, there was a guy named uh, Keith, who had since moved on to Red Five games? Yeah, but uh, he favored one like uh, just way of programming over another because of unit tests. It was something like he preferred static constructs or something.
1: No, he didn't like. So this is he d- didn't it was like PHP. He right. didn't like static classes in PHP because of the way they worked with the unit testing. Right.
0: So, so it was hard to mock them out. Okay. Yeah, it was just harder to set up the unit test with if you did the code a certain way, right? Right, right, right. Okay, gotcha. So there is that too. Like, unit testing needs to be considered from the ground up. In certain cases, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: you if you're using it's just like PHP Unit is a product like anything else, right? And you can make your life easier or harder by knowing that you're going to use it. You know, right? It's you know trying to implement anything after the fact is always going to be harder. Yeah,
0: that's true so anyway yeah unit testing uh definitely has value to certain groups but uh we do not touch it i think games is just games is hard for
1: unit testing because it's so visual and it's so feel driven you know like you can't test for like how does the attacking feel how does the jumping feel
0: you know who i bet uses unit tests who nasa well yeah (laughs) (laughs) they goddamn better (laughs) yeah i bet they have to lives at stake here we have you know funds at stake
1: I think that if we ever had a bigger studio where we had a lot of like programmers
0: working for us, that it would be a good idea. Do you know what I'd be interested in? What? Uh, if John Carmack does unit testing, how he mm. feels about it. That's interesting. He's the kind of person who has the broad, like deep as like broad and deep knowledge of like, he knows it all. Yeah. (laughs) He'd be the person to uh, like, yeah, I I would, I would go look and see if he's written about that at all.
1: I feel like we're kind of against the grain in a certain respect, you know, like unit testing is a big thing. Like if you look at GitHub, it's like, they've got CI integration and like everyone's hot to trot on all these different like unit testing frameworks and stuff like that. And uh, I feel like we're kind of against the grain a little bit, but I just, I don't know. I don't see the value for us. Yeah. Not for us.
0: So anyway, um, we are almost an hour in. It's pretty good. Not bad, not bad. Um, do we want to talk about Krypton and Lava Blade, or do we want to just... No. Yeah, <laughs> we're. we're um, well, we'll ha- we'll have really interesting stuff about both those games fairly soon. But right now, uh, we're kind of just in the slog still. So. Yeah, we're gonna probably launch
1: Krypton and Lava Blade within the next month, hopefully. Which
0: that totally seems reasonable right now but like when it it comes down to it i'm actually lying right now (laughs) (laughs) and i don't even know it like like technically when when we look at both games there's really no reason either one of them would take more than a month but uh yeah that's just not how things work out in the development world no I don't know what exactly I'm going to play you out with, but, oh man, Joshua Morris has done so much crazy music, so much music in the last, like, two months. I really hope that we get points in Indie Speedrun for having made
1: our own music. That's great.
0: We specifically meant, like, noted that, too, because, uh, what are you doing? (laughs) Jeff's on a giant exercise ball. He's about to fall over. I know, right? Um, because the the, uh, Indie Speedrun uh, does not require original music or sound effects. Yeah. So, but they did say that, like, if you do, you know, like, bonus points. Yeah. If you go above and beyond, do your own original music and sound effects, let us know. That's why on the title screen for Asylum Night, you can see the text, like, bouncing. I really wanted to. Original music. Grab your attention. Because I was like, if if there's nothing else notable about the game, I know that this is notable because it wasn't required.
1: (laughs) And the music's really good. Well, they just announced today that there's going to be some, like, honorable mentions and, like, best in category type awards as well. Oh, that's cool. Not money, but, you know, there's probably going to be, like, you know, best music, best use of blah, best use of the theme. I would be thrilled
0: if Joshua got best music. Oh, uh, I would like, be thrilled too. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, that's the other thing I, I meant to say about Asylum Night. Uh, one last note is the sound effects are amazing. Joshua Morse did them. Um, he did this really cool thing where any sound effect that's going to be happening a lot, uh, he d- would do like three versions of. So that it kind of cycles through them so it doesn't have this annoying sound. Like, bram, yeah. bram, bram, like three times in a row. Like, you're like oh, shut up, sound effect. You Especially know? when
1: there's so much stuff going on the screen. You know, you have like... yeah you know 50 traps and like 20 doctors on the screen at the same time and they're all dying or being hit or whatever
0: right yeah that helped
1: a lot yeah it did
0: um so that's lost cast uh hopefully we'll talk to you next week yeah
1: for your pills.